Yeah. We were kind of talking about that when we met. It was um, like, how do we best convince people? Because you and I, you and I, I think, are pretty deep <laughs> into these things, at least uh, according to the layman. So um, what is interesting to us and what we would just, oh, yeah, that's true. That's fine. That's, that's the nature of reality or, yeah, th- that's real or that's not real uh, is not something that you can just like bring up at the dinner table. Um, so it's, it's, there's a tact. And I think I've, I've talked to many people about this, but if you are going in with uh, the TNT when a little uh, toothpick is really the tool to use in terms of breaking down people's beliefs, um, their limitations, or just giving them a bit of information about things, you have to meet them where they are. And um, I, I noticed that you were very conscious of that. And I'm wondering in your experience in life, how you kind of navigate that problem. Cause we want to blurt everything out to everyone that we see it. it that's the, <laughs> that's the want, you know, when you initially learn the kind of deeper level stuff. Yeah. Um, so there's two aspects I feel like to that. It's um, not, um, there's the problem you talked about and like being able to know which level to share that. And then there's also just knowing when to share and when to keep. Yep. And there's that, there's that quote from the Bible about throwing pearls to swine where it's, yes. um, and I know it was, what was it? Pythagoras who said like, those who don't study, I believe it was geometry are not allowed in the temple. You know, it's like, you gotta have a certain minimum level of development to appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and I love that the TNT versus the toothpick. Um, I feel like that speaks to specificity of an approach it's not a buckshot one size fits all yeah it's figuring out what you're working with which reminds me of um seek to understand first Mm. and then seek to be understood yeah and so there's a it reminds me of resonance where if you take like a little knife tap a glass you will hear the resonant frequency of the the structure of that glass. And if you sing it back to it, you can actually shatter that glass with your own voice. You can look up a cool YouTube video of a guy doing that. And so I feel like that's with each individual. We're all unique. Um, Some of us have similar natures, but we might grow up across the world and maybe a thousand years later (laughs) apart from each other. Right. So there's a lot of uniqueness and while I entertain both too, there's the need for specificity and there's also an interest in being able to have like a one size fits all type of approach. And for that, I use the mental model of like going up the river to the source, to the etiology. Because I think a lot of specificity happens when it's closer down the river and you're more so working with symptoms. Um, and that when you are getting a solution that is working closer up the river to the source has a better chance of having like a one size fits all nature to it. Mm. But your question was about like how to um, discern when to share and withhold. And honestly, it's, I would say it's kind of like a sonar, you know, you'll, you'll send out something and you'll listen for the ping coming back. 
So if the person's receptive and they're curious and they're, they're interested in digging, then I'll continue. If not, then it's not their, it's not their interest. How do you typically navigate it? Yeah, I, well, in my capacity now, obviously with the people that message me online asking for stuff, it's like they're coming to me and saying, hey, I have this issue, I have this problem. So they're already asking for help, which just makes everything that um, you say to them is taken on board a lot more rather than the distinction where most people find themselves if they don't have an audience online is um, they are, you know, blurting this out to friends and family who maybe they didn't even ask or they don't, <laughs> they don't necessarily care. Um, so that is when like you're just blurting out this information, you're trying to convince others when they haven't asked for help and that is never going to, you know, that's never going to help. So it's, it's really like you, like you said, you float the bait, you put the bait in the river and see if the fish want to catch on. Oh, that looks a little tasty morsel. I might uh, pursue that and see where that takes me uh, rather than just trying to shove the food in someone's mouth, uh, basically. And pe people in general don't like being told what to do as a rule. Uh, they don't like being told what to do by government, hopefully. And they definitely don't like being told what to do by someone that's just in the in their general area. So like that does even if you have good intentions, uh, that's that's not really gonna work. Uh, there is some level of nuance where if someone is being silly and they're not even asking for my help, I'll tell them straight up like, hey dude, uh, you're being a bit obtuse, and obviously say it in a loving way. But um, it's it's yeah obviously i've made some mistakes uh trying that amongst my own fr family and friends it's like why are you eating that you got to eat this or you know got to get in the gym things like that that's how it starts uh, and then you learn hey okay that's probably the not not the right way to do it um principle of osmosis is pretty uh replicable in that sense that if they see you doing it they see you getting the results then then they'll be curious to come in um see what it's about uh, and then you know if you are the shiny example of whatever it is then they're going to be hey he has the results maybe he has some information that can help me as well and if they don't if they reject whatever you tell them and they don't come look for it then that's their prerogative that's their life and that's their mistakes or uh, lessons to learn in which case you have no right to uh, you know control other people's lives in that sense as well it's understanding that we're all separate uh, you can't control everyone and nor would you want to uh, play God in that sense. So that's how I look at it. I love that. Yeah, there's the lesson is like cons consistently presented for someone to learn. There's this quote I heard that I really love. It's God only sends angels. And the reason I like it is because kind of speaks to the idea of projection where we can project um, we see the world through ourselves. So if we're in a disharmonious state and there's an opportunity for growth, we can just project a demon mask on it and be like, ah, oh, get out of here. Mm. And it'll just keep coming back around again and again, like that spinning door until we're like, okay, I've got enough pain or you know, something has shifted where I, I do desire to change, to transform, to transcend my current level of consciousness. Mm. And what you were talking about, I just wanted to comment on from earlier, the dinner table. Um, 
because I feel like it's a pretty natural progression of what you're talking about, where an individual has some type of issue, um, they have a desire, a longing for something more, and they go out and they create a change, and they're really excited about the shift energetically, emotionally, physically, like all the ways it shows up in their life. And it's expansive, not only for them, but typically for the others around them. And it's got this feeling of like, wow, I love the shift I've experienced and I'm operating on a higher level. I've, I've got kind of like a fuller cup now. And there's this natural kind of tendency to be like, okay, now I want to help others fill their cup. Mm. And we're our like reticular activation system is now primed for what we just studied. So when we go back home and we're like, hey, wait, why are you eating that? Because we had just done all this studying about what's good, what's bad to hit our goals. And we see someone we love and we want to help support them. But like you mentioned, sometimes it's not received um, like that. Um, there's, there's different factors that kind of affect that stiff arming of the love. Mm. And another cool idea is this idea of, like with a dinner table, it's, it's con a constraint of our local area. Like it's our local tribe that is constrained by who we were born into, like the family that we were born into, right? We didn't really, well, we could talk about <laughs> consciously choosing incarnating it or not. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, let's, let's do that <laughs> after. Yeah, um, but my main point is that we can actually choose to have non-local friend groups that have a higher level of resonance. And I feel like a lot of times we would like our family and our friend group that we grew up with to kind of shift closer towards us, but more often than not, it's, it's kind of letting those friends go and finding new friend groups that are more resonant with our ideals. Yeah. And we had touched on that when we first met and that's what I love is you just talked about osmosis and that really speaks to having an ideal and acting in alignment towards that ideal and leading by example. And people see you and they're like, whoa, I'm seeing this ideal expressed in Solbro's life, physically, emotionally, financially, mentally, spiritually. I kind of want some of that. Mm. And that's, I think, the importance of heroes like in fiction as yep. well as in real life yep. like you're doing. So tip of the hat to you yeah thank you just uh implementing what i'm learning <laughs> and it's it's seeming to have good results um need to keep a running tab of things that i want to circle back to but so we had um the first thing i wanted to cover that you mentioned was seeing uh god sending angels and these problems that we see as problems th these things these situations these things that we've attracted, these people that we've attracted, um, these tests where we see them as demons and typically, you know, demon can just mean problem. Oh, this thing is really annoying me. It's really giving me grief. Oh, this situation is really, you know, making me sad and, and all the rest of it. And so you see it as the world doing something to you. There's this negative entity, a demon, um, coming at you and ruining your life and if you didn't have those your life would be perfect that's the assumption behind it right is that oh my life would be fine and I'm doing perfectly but it's these external situations which are bringing me down and that's why I'm not where I want to be and if you have that perspective then anything you do 
it's not going to work out because you're just going to keep on having these problems that you have no control over, basically. By saying that they are external to you, they're happening to you, you abdicate your responsibility to them and so you can't change them. But when we switch them and we start seeing not uh, we don't put any negative connotation on them with the word and how we see them it's like these are issues not even issues because that sounds more negative it's just like these are circumstances these are circumstances that we find ourselves in uh, at this point in time that we have attracted based on our previous choices and our previous thoughts feelings and emotions and now we have an opportunity to do something with them we can ignore them we can see them as demons, see them as these things, or we can see them just as circumstances and angels because they are situations that give us an opportunity to grow and learn and become better. And that is just one mindset shift where you have an innate belief in yourself to figure everything out and you're not going to give up no matter what uh, circumstances come your way. I'm not going to use the word problems from now on because we want to eliminate that. But so circumstances that come your way, as long as you have the, the belief that, okay, th at this point in time, these are the things I need to solve and doing so will get me to the next level. And if you keep on attracting uh, those things, then there's a lesson in there for yourself and you're attracting them because of beliefs that you have or thoughts that you keep on having about yourself or about other people and within that uh, you have an opportunity to see them as angels and lessons and thus be grateful for them and when you shift from seeing everything as an issue to a good thing that's when they all kind of just disappear because you're working on yourself and you elevate yourself to a level of energetics where you no longer interact with that version of reality Wow, love that. That touches on something that I was gonna add on later. I'll bring it up now. Um, and it's reminding me of the great shift in really consciously like, recalibrating yourself to that circumstance. And I'll, I'll introduce another term that my life coach had shared with me. It's situation. So it's like a situation that's waiting for a solution to be aligned with. Mm. So it's, we never have problems. There's just situations yeah. and the solutions waiting for us to find it. And I love what you said about like the lessons in there. It's like a seed waiting to sprout. Kind of reminds me of the, the think and grow rich quote of like for every adversity, there's an equal or greater opportunity yep. in it. And yep. so it's like basically training our mind to be able to, it's like, I just listened to your podcast with Troy Casey the second one it was awesome yeah and you're talking about the inner alchemy so that's exactly what this is when we see a glass that's filled to the 50% mark have we trained and conditioned our thoughts so that we're like wow look at the abundance it's half full that's awesome or is mm -hmm. it more kind of <laughs> with the crowd uh, with the general bell curve of everyone the conditioned thoughts of oh it's half empty dang it Yep. Still out. Up. I need to go work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so there was, what was it, seven? Seven different aspects that Paul Check put on my radar for when someone has a challenge where we can use that inner alchemy to reorientate with that situation. 
And so mm -hmm. if you're unhealthy, if you're addicted, obese or diseased, like you can consider the benefits of the challenge that it can bring the seven things of awareness as number one, responsibility as number two, motivation, number three, four, direction, five, self-realization, six, leadership, and seven, love. So I was pleasantly blown away by how contemplating these things creates a shift inside because there is a lot of resistance typically for myself if I haven't done that. If I haven't consciously been like, okay, wait, what's the positive here that's waiting to um, express itself? And there's that great truism quote of what you resist persists and it's true. What you resist resists. What does that mean exactly? What, no, it's, it sounds really similar, but it's what you resist persists. Oh, persists, right. Yeah, so whatever you're giving um, energy to in a way mm -hmm. where you're like, I don't like this, I don't yeah. I want this out of my life, we're, we're, we're still, there's that alchemical saying of the mind becomes that which it beholds. So even though we're like, I don't want this, I don't want this, our mind is still subconsciously energizing this. Yeah. And so we don't get we don't get what we want. We get what we are. We get our embodied thoughts. Yep. Uh, the concept is in uh, reality transfer transurfing, uh, it, which is a book oh, yeah. uh, pendulums. So the idea being that anything that can take your energy uh, is a pendulum and this pendulum, you know, how pendulums work. Obviously, they'll be at rest. And then you need to pull them up and then you let go and it swings back and forth and back and forth. And the more you push it, the more, the more you lift it up, the more kinetic energy you give that pendulum, the longer it's going to swing back and forth. And the only way to stop a pendulum swinging is to stop touching it, you know, stop giving it extra energy. And so the principle is the same with anything uh, that can be the focus of our thoughts because like you said, if you hate something, if you resist something, all you're doing is giving that pendulum energy, which means it's going to swing back and forth. And many different people can give energy to the same pendulum, you know. Um, headlines and news events um, are, are massive pendulums and they seek to steal people's energy and the more people worry about it and talk about it and share things online is is all funneling energy to those negative pendulums which then operate um and can affect other people depending on how much energy they've kind of siphoned so the way it's very counterintuitive to think like oh i don't want this like that's the that's the default i don't want this i'm going to think about how much i don't want it but when you realize that everything is a pendulum positive things as well by the way but negative things if you think about them all you're doing is you're dragging that pendulum up and then it's going to swing back with uh, with more and more force and the only way to get it to release from your life is to stop resisting it and just let go of the energetic attachment you have to it stop giving it thought and eventually they kind of just dissipate um and that's you know how to deal with things that you don't want in your life it's like a girlfriend that keeps on coming or an ex-girlfriend who's crazy and you keep on you know, having these long, arduous conversations with her and, you know, giving her time and energy because you want it to, um, you know, resolve. But the best case scenario is usually just to stop talking to them, block them, and then 
not give them energy and eventually if they are someone that's um it could be a girlfriend or boyfriend you know i'm just saying in general um they latch on to it could be friendship relationships as well or or just relationships that you don't like they will latch on to the energy that you give them even if it's negative energy because it is energy that they are siphoning from you so the best most mature thing to do is just kind of release that yes i love the pendulum visual and analogy that's epic um great book and similar to what you guys touched on with troy casey there's this trend of like normalizing dysfunction and i mean we're we're in a dysfunctional society there's that great krishnamurti quote of it is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society yes and so we're we're kind of born into that and we have all of our social norms and our standards and we like contrast is really important for being able to distinguish things. And if we don't have that contrast to understand what like healthy relationships look like or a healthy work-life integration or um, any particular like ideal, then we kind of just get lost in the sauce. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we get lost in the bandwagon of, of keeping our head down, going with the flow and being in a bad flow of the mediocrity. Yeah, that's what people, um, it's like a big mistake that people make is that they want to succeed at the things that society tells them they should succeed at. And if they th oh, I'll get success in, you know, this office job that everyone thinks will be great for me and, you know, get the house and the car and stuff. And they're all good things to have if they come from the right energetic motivations. That's really what you want to do. But if it's just because you're following um, the general societal guidelines and then you're unhappy after all that, it's like, well, okay, what did I do then? It's because the initial calibration of the things that make humans happy were not there in this current society, at least on the macro level in the Western world. I'm sure there are pockets where, you know, the focus should be on uh, family, love, the relationships, honesty, you know, making sure that your neighbor has enough as well as you uh, giving, you know, there, there were societies that usually um, smaller pre-technological uh, societies where everyone kind of knows each other in the community. That seems to be um, what happens and develops naturally. But when you get these massive atomized cities of lots of different people from all over the world interacting, don't really know each other, uh, it becomes more you know self-serving and that is just not a way for a human who is a pack animal at the end of the day to operate and you you don't get any real self-satisfaction because it's all external again like you're you're working for the title you're working for the bank balance you're working for wearing the cool things or having the cool things and when you externalize your happiness you're never going to find it because the only way to get actual happiness and satisfaction is to do it from within as with all things as i'm sure you know yeah love that <clears throat> um yeah there's like there's this general loss of tribe and it's substituted with capitalism for the the feeling of safety and security and we kind of get lost with like following those external maps of like and i'll um i'll borrow from gary vaynerchuk where he talks about how 
you going to a great college and becoming a doctor. It's, you know, your parents want you to do that. Not so they're necessarily proud of you, but so they can like brag to other parents. It's so yeah. that they can satisfy the standard that they've plugged into as part of their culture scape, the dreamscape, which is um, I'm a good parent if my kids become a lawyer or a doctor, an engineer. So yeah. it's this, this type of um, if then kind of rule book that we all subconsciously agree upon. And I love the way that Don Miguel Ruiz lays this out in his books. Um, one of them being the mastery of love, the other one, the four agreements, the fifth agreement. Um, it's really beautiful the way he talks about it. And the, I go on, go on, sorry. There's, I grew up watching Pokemon, one of my favorite shows. Oh yeah, me Grounds. too. Yes, let's go. <laughs> I, uh, I kind of funnily joke around saying that I was brainwashed by that intro song, but in a, in a kind of positive way. Where want to be the very best. Mindset. Oh yeah. That guitar comes on. Yeah. I want to be the very <laughs> best. Like it's epic. Like no one ever was. And yeah. The, the anticipation of the show, the visual, the audio, I was full sensory, like engaged and I would watch that over and over again. So the repetition was there, got deep down to the subconscious. Um, yeah. But what I'm bringing up about Pokemon is that there's this really cool idea for people who don't know Pokemon, they have their different types. So there's Pikachu's the main guy, he's a, he's a little electric mouse. And then there's <laughs> fire types, there's water types. Um, but it would kind of be, It'd kind of be ridiculous if Pikachu all of a sudden started trying to train a flamethrower attack. He's like born into a family that's, you know, got some flame type or fire type Pokemon. And the standard there is like everyone, if they're going to be good fighters, they do a flamethrower. Um, but if he were to follow that, he would, he would feel stressed. He'd feel out of alignment. He'd start <laughs> probably taking drugs. Um, <laughs> You know, he'd go out, drink alcohol, he'd be jacking off all night. Yeah. Uh, he'd be having poor sleep. He wouldn't be working out until he realized, wait, what kind of Pokemon am I? I'm an electric. <laughs> yeah. And then he stays in his lane and he realizes, I honor your fire. Like, I love the diversity of the types, but I'm electric and I'm going to do me. And we can actually come together in a team with this Pokemon trainer and we can form a synergy so that when there's some opponent that my electricity is not well suited for, we can bring your firepower. Mm. So it's that, it's that honoring our own uniqueness and others and harmonizing those polarities, those different ingredients so that we can create that synergy and just, have a, a kick-ass Pokemon squad. <laughs> That's great. Um, sunk many hours into the Pokemon games myself. But um, yes. I can see a, uh, a bridge here where I'll go back to where I wanted to touch on what you said before. So the idea that we have come into this reality uh, this time as this person in this situation to learn certain lessons with these particular skills in this physical reality this time and in previous iterations um you know the premise of all this is that reincarnation is a thing right this 3d reality of the world 
exists of the earth and we have a spirit or a soul that is embodying this body uh, and piloting it and this that spirit has been through many different experiences on this earth before uh, where it existed in the spirit world and then comes to earth to have a physical reality experience in order to learn things because earth is this big training ground uh, and, and one level of experience that we can all learn from. And so, so that's a big premise to accept for a lot of people. But all I was like, I obviously, I've felt memories and things that experiences that I haven't had in this lifetime where it feels like I have had those and delved into meditations where I've, I've really gotten incredible visuals of these kind of these experiences that would only make sense if I had had other physical lives as different humans other than this one that I'm in right now. So for me, this idea is, is valid, right? And I, you can point to a lot of different cultures all around the world where their spiritual leaders and their religious beliefs and their spiritual beliefs have kind of arrived at this thing of, oh yeah, reincarnation is real. And it's, you know, this is one stage of our lives. And then when we die, that is not the end. That is not the end of existence. And that is very um, calming for a lot of people, very soothing, because then death is, death is not the end. It's just a transition. And so you realize that it's not necessarily, or it's literally not the end of the world if you do die. And that, re that relieves a lot of stress and worry about that and fear. And that's very beneficial, but it also promotes this thing of like, you know, d don't try and be everyone because you will have lots of different experiences when you re reincarnate across thousands of years. And what we can aim to do now is to figure out what in this particular role in life I, as the spirit, chose to come into this world and have these experiences with this family, with these friends, with this upbringing, with everything that happened to me, good and bad, in order to glean the lessons spiritually, uh, to elevate my own awareness and consciousness so that I then, at the end of my life, can say, hey, that was well lived, I learned a lot, and to go on to the next thing. Would you say that's a, an accurate representation of what that whole idea is um yeah that's one of the like i feel like it's it's a big topic so there's lots of different flavors but that's definitely a, a good general branch i would say um, yeah how would you explain there that? is so from my understanding and one thing too is just to talk about just maps and terrain like a lot of times i do talk about maps and it's not the terrain um, but maps are still helpful. They help to, yeah. like, help us to navigate. And then there's there's different levels of fidelity or zooming into the detail with maps. Some maps are very big picture, and some are very detailed. Um, it's kind of better. Some are better for different situations. Um, but diving into reincarnation, I know that, um, and I entertain like for keeping flexibility of thought, I like to approach it as, you know, if reincarnation's real, right. how does that work? Right. What's the mechanics? Like, and what does that imply? Like, what's the implications of that? And then the opposite, you know, if reincarnation is not real, um, what's that imply? And 
like how does it work then like what happens when i die then yeah um and then is there other options and then what would those look like so typically i like to really just see an idea as what it is and, and then compare it to other similar types of ideas that i can start to surround it and kind of triangulate the uh the qualities of this so for reincarnation there's um there's this idea of the personality versus the actual like soul if you will the i am presence that's unqualified it doesn't really have the the soul bra um personality and whatnot so when you die and pass on to the next one it'll still be um your soul but it won't necessarily carry all of the um yeah the attributes that you had expressed in your life yeah and then other ones that so there's that idea and i entertain that i'm like okay that could be the way it is and then another one is that if we get to a certain level of development um, then we're able to actually kind of embed those memories and characteristics and whatnot part of our personality and carry those onward um, but that is also i would say in the context of like purifying our personality so it's kind of like what we are bringing over to the next life might not be the same as what we typically consider as our personality like if you can compare my personality right now to what we consider Jesus Christ to be, you know, when he's like in his uh, ascended light body and whatnot, like, I feel like that's a totally different personality comparison. Um, yeah. He's, he's done the work, you know, he's purified himself to a degree where um, th there's this notion of like, and this is in the Essene Bible, there's this notion of, there's like a, a bouncer, there's seven heavens, and these repeat infinitely, but there's seven heavens and there's like a bouncer basically. You can't, <laughs> evil entities can't get past the first heaven. And even the first heaven's kind of difficult. Um, but there's this idea of like, until you've done the work and purified yourself to a certain degree, you can't get into the club. So yeah, I just want to throw that aspect in there as well. But um, I kind of lean right now towards the idea that if you do cultivate yourself spiritually to a certain point that yeah you can you can kind of carry this experience without having a, a gap in memory forward that's what the expression old souls comes from right like mm. some kids can be born and you know it's usually grandparents that say this oh you're such an old soul and what does that mean? You know, does it mean they have the mannerisms of an old person? Or does it mean that they are a soul that has been through many experiences on many lives so that they understand what's going on from the get-go and they have unlocked that previous knowledge of previous lives where they understand like, oh, I'm back here again and this is the... You know, this is what I've chosen this time. They have memory of the past lives, like conscious memory. And so they are much more aware. They're an old soul and they have experience as that old soul. Mm. I love that. And I want to touch on memory too, because it's interesting with um, this idea of like, because we experience a memory, we feel like it's ours. And I feel like that's pretty natural because we don't really experience 
um, something that's not our memory, right? It's everything's within our, yeah. our own psyche. Um, but there, like when I look to entertain, if, if I'm experiencing someone like a memory and it's actually not mine from like a past reincarnated life, what could be the mechanism of action there? Um, and a couple things come to mind. There's, there's the DNA, which carries information. It carries a lot of information. Yeah. Um, and then there's the water within our body, which has near infinite capacity for storage. And that's, I've heard, I think it was from, I'm blanking on his name. He wrote the fourth phase of water. I've heard that while our body weight is 70% water, the actual molecular uh, makeup of our body is closer to 99% water molecules, just because of the amount of them compared to all the other ones. Whether it's 99 or not, not sure if that's accurate, but the idea being there's a lot of water and- um, We're mostly water. Yeah, the fact that that carries near infin infinite capacity for memory and that we are able to potentially tap into that that's one way I also entertain of being able to access these different memories. There's the morphogenic field, which you and Troy Casey touched on. And then there's just the fact that we're all plugged into the source. There's um, the monad is what it's been called. And that's basically like at the center of every atom. There's this portal into counter space. And that's what connects every single atom in the universe. Nassim Haramine's done some really interesting work on this. Wow, that's a heavy thought. Yeah. Yeah, you'd ask, like, is, is space real in, in the DMs? <laughs> it's, is um, it? Yeah, it's interesting <laughs> to approach that question. So Notice, notice I'm sorry, I'll just point out that the most recent mission, uh, Artemis, they were meant to go to the moon. NASA was meant to, or... I think go to the moon or at least get out of orbit. I'm not sure where they're going. Pretty sure it's the moon. First time they're going back to the moon in a while. And oh, rockets failed. Something happened. And <laughs> oh, we can't go up there anymore. So that's yeah. just an interesting thought. <laughs> mm -hmm. And sorry, I interrupted yeah. you. Go on. I love that. When I heard the explanation of like, yep, we've lost the technology. We don't know how to get <laughs> to space. I'm like, what? Yeah, someone deleted Seems it. Yeah, lost that file. <laughs> Toss the USB with that out. Yeah. Um, so I've done a lot of studying from um, this guy on YouTube called Ken Wheeler. And he, <laughs> he loves diving into metaphysics. He goes into ancient Greek, Indian, and Egyptian um, monism, basically, like Neoplatonic non-dual philosophy and i feel like that's actually one interesting way to talk about like what's going on in the world at large is it's this idea of dualism good versus evil right and mm -hmm. i'm not fully settled on how i distinguish all of this still i'm i've at any one moment i'll, I'll entertain competing ideas um, but with dualism, it's this idea that I feel like we have as a society kind of 
lost touch with the idea of um, the balancing of the, the polar polarities. I think we've kind of looked at the, we, we say like angel and devil, basically. We say heaven and earth. There's this, there's this fractured worldview. It's disconnected and it gives the sense of earth is this rotting like limbo or a prison and the only goal is to get up to heaven where then we're happy like that is the prize right and so it sets it sets up this dichotomy this kind of war this this friction between those two and i like to also bring up like the whole idea of esoteric and exoteric teachings so exoteric meaning like available to the public and esoteric for a small group it's from like a mystery school or an occult school where they're diving into these these deep truths um but it takes work to understand and appreciate that so if you just go to share that and you kind of um leak that out if you will to the masses it can so easily get misinterpreted and distorted and diluted and so I feel like that's one of the key issues is there's this schism that is both reflected outside in the in the world as well as inside in man. We feel this sense of incoherency of like, wait, I'm like half angel, half beast, what's going on? Yeah. Um and I think basically the the non-dualist type of shift is going back to realize how the trinity is kind of set up where there's the the monad the source of everything and that would be absolute reality and then from that is created relative and there's two flavors right when we go into relative it's the polarities and the goddess is seen in a lot of different religions so there's like the goddess and then there's the god as part of the polarity, the ma masculine energy and the feminine energy. But what surprised me is like the Abraham re Abrahamic religions, they kind of just got rid of the goddess. It's God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Ghost, yeah. who they usually referred to as a his, as a, a masculine pronoun. Yeah. Um, so when I was reading through Lucifer, the influences of Lucifer and Araman by Steiner, it's a fascinating book written a hundred years ago, but it's so prophetic. Um, it's talking about these two flavors of polarities and he gives them the name Lucifer and Araman. And basically they can be bad and they can be good, but it's about the context and it's about whether we're harmoniously synergizing them for the given situation. So, that's I'm trying to think of where I'm going with that. The I'm just kind of like laying the table for some of this. Um, I think the easiest way to kind of go through the basic metaphysics um, trinity is with the Fibonacci sequence. So it's one, one, two, three, five. And all it is is it's adding up the previous numbers to to get the next one. So to, after five, you know, you'd add the three, you'd get an eight, and it continues on. Um, and the reason why the Fibonacci sequence is interesting is because it basically approaches phi. It's that golden ratio, 
Are you familiar with that? Yes, it's uh, seen in nature. It's the most aesthetically pleasing ratio in a lot of measurements, and yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating relationship. And so, for the Trinity here, I'll just break those numbers of one one two three five into three groups. The first group is one one. Um, so the first one it represents the principle. And then the second one is actually the attribute. And so what that means is it's like basically water being the principle and wetness being the attribute. It's kind of how we relate to and experience the actual principle of it. Mm. Does that make sense? Yep. So that's the first kind of core. And from what I was studying, it's like those are those are coexistent at the same time. It wasn't that it was um, created in time. And I like to think of, you know, the principle as source and then the attribute as the mind of God. It's this, I've heard Paul Cech talk about it as like a canvas, like a, a painting on a wall where it's all of creation. And, you know, he's like, oh, if you took one thing out, you know, you miss it. But I love this idea in general of like viewing all of the infinite possibilities that could ever happen as like a painting on the wall. And that's the mind of God. So that's what I typically um, think of with the mind of God and that we're navigating it as a spirit, almost like a, a laser just going across the painting and experiencing yeah. and tuning into different conscious experiences. Yeah. So from that principle and attribute, we get magnetism. Um, the, the two represents magnitude and the three represents matter. So it creates this womb of the relative world that we can experience in. And then the fifth one is, is man or being, it's ontos. So it's this, and I've flipped back and forth. I've, I've been thinking of it before as like a transcendental object that doesn't fundamentally change it's more of our relationship it's like awareness is is kind of going through and swimming through all these different possibilities and then on the flip side of i've considered it as absolute reality never changes but there is an actual evolution to the relative reality it's this just big dance um so I feel like that was maybe a little confusing. I like to do, when I explain stuff like this very visually. So I feel like mm -hmm. over the podcast, it might be more of a challenge, but um, that's a simple way to kind of explain non-dual um, Neoplatonic Trinity. Well, that's a, a new concept for me to kind of mull over and dream about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think though the most important thing that I'd want like listeners to take away from it is the dialectic. I think that's a really underappreciated framework for um, viewing things, whether it's um, the ego, whether it's like police, you know, people are like, oh, get rid of the police. We don't like them. They're being mean. And it's like, well, wait, let's talk about like, um, like what a, an overactive police would be and an underactive. Same for love, like, you know, what is overactive love and what's underactive? And I was introduced to this concept from the book, King, Warrior, Magician, Lover. It's about the masculine archetypes. Yeah. Um, and another 
another typical dialectic that people can relate to is hot and cold. So the point being that like hot and cold, they're just kind of two different qualities or they're two different degrees of the same quality of energy. One's just a, a little bit more energy. It's hot, it's overactive, it's vibrating quickly. And the other one's a little bit underactive expression of right. that same quality. They're not opposites. Um, they're just different degrees. Yeah, different qualities for sure. So it's like just, I think when we are in a dualistic society where it's kind of been divided, it creates, and you guys touched on this in Troy Casey's podcast of, it creates the division. When we have a, a divided worldview, it's kind of natural that we're, we start fighting. We're like, no, I'm right, you're wrong. Like, and we're, we aren't able to see that there's, there's a harmonious center, which is, you know, we, we hear from Siddhartha Gautama, um, the Buddha, he's talking about taking the middle path. And Christ is an example of the middle path between Lucifer and Arman. Steiner's got a great statue that he's built himself um, of the representative of man, where it's it's Jesus Christ figure, and he's got one hand pointed up and one hand pointed down, and that's to symbolize he's holding these two dynamic forces in balance, in a harmonious synergy. So is all of this leading back to the idea that space is not real or not real it's too dualistic to view about it or yeah like, that was the the uh, diving so, board right? yeah nikola tesla has a quote of like space has no properties so it has attributes we can describe it but it's not fundamental so he he was kind of opposed to the the whole Einstein view of being able to bend and warp space-time. Hmm. And so I guess <laughs> the big picture is that the mainstream physics is is off. They've, they've been trying to reconcile the macro and the micro, and they've been having challenges. And I think part of it could be by design because if they do have a more accurate physics that was much more in line with the way that Nikola Tesla, Steinmetz, Heaviside, um, these geniuses like a hundred years ago, the way they viewed the world more so, then I believe if we had that map of, of how things work, that we would be able to tap into things like free energy. And that's very counter to the current system that we have. So I mm. think it's kind of like misled by design and it's like this yeah. echo chamber because it, it does ask the kind of bear the question of like, really? You think like all those scientists could be fooled? Um, and I think, yeah, actually they can yeah. in a certain way. Like they can get lost in the numbers basically like scientists today are mathematicians. Yeah. And so there's there's a there's a certain degree of like it works like their their calculations can do a lot of incredible things. But there's a great quote from Tesla about like thinking deeply and thinking clearly. Um, you know, people can think really deeply, but they get put into a psych ward because they don't they don't think mm. clearly. So it's being able to think clearly and deeply. And I think he would he would probably make the remark that a lot of the mathematicians are lacking some clarity in their deep thinking. 
Yeah, it's um, a little above my pay grade in terms of my theoretical physics knowledge. But uh, one thing is for sure, just kind of playing on my mind, is that the I don't believe that the current... This is all I say about it, is that I don't believe that the current narrative that space is stars billions of light years away and then there's just empty space and then planets kind of hanging around in that and then NASA needs billions of dollars to try and take pictures of things which we don't know might just be CGI and all the rest of it. It's like, it just doesn't really add up. That's all I'll say about it. And I'd happily be proven wrong on all fronts. And I'm not saying it either way, but it's just like, if you, if if this is something that we're taught at school, which is uh, a brainwashing process, not a place that we go to learn. So that's what we've been fed. And it doesn't make sense that we don't have the technology that we did in 1960 to be able to go do that again. Um, uh, that it just that logically doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, we, the natural progression of our technology should mean that we have more astronauts and up there, you know, a base on the moon, but yada yada yada. Yeah. So, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but it's interesting for sure. Yeah, I've, I still entertain both. I'm like, okay, if we're on a if we're on a globe, what is that like? And if we're on a plane, or, or I don't even know some of the alternative theories um, get out there, but I, I entertain them and I, I try to follow them through. And yeah. I'm not I'm not decided one way or the other. I'm just still open because I don't know. Yeah. Um, so that's a massive key with anything is if you haven't experienced it in your own life for sure and you can just say like, yep, I've seen this and I know it to be true because every time I've done it or perceived it, then this is what has happened then really you're going off the word of other people, usually online or word of mouth and all the rest of it is like, so you actually don't know. So the most mature, conscious and aware position to take on really any stance is as far as the information I've taken in and my current perception of what this is, this is my perspective. And I'm open to anything either way because because once you attach yourself to an outcome or to a perspective or to a belief, then that is a spider web that goes over your soul that enables, that ends up clogging your vision. And part of spiritual advancement is finding all of those cobwebs which are covering our eyes and peeling them off one by one. Oh, this belief doesn't actually serve me. You know, I, I took that belief on because my uncle told me this when I was 10. Uh, this belief was because I got rejected by a girl once and just all these beliefs and nonsense that were clearing, um, clogging up our vision and now with this clear vessel that can just see things for what it is and the perceptions uh, that we're experiencing right now as this conscious, conscious awareness. I feel into that. Um, I feel like one, like, I feel like going almost like a curveball here to, sure. cause a lot of the, a lot of the things I entertain are 
along the lines of like, okay, if when we see, cause I'm one of the big interests of mine is this idea of superpowers. Like we hear it historically, we see it in mythology. Um, and we have this kind of internal sense of like they're real. Yep. And that's what we talked about with heroes and warriors and dragon riders. There's this like resonance. Of yeah. like, oh, that's true. That's me. Um, I'm a dragon yeah. rider. Yeah. And so I feel like it's, we are actually in this type of divine sandbox. It's a type of like divine simulation. I know there's a lot of talk about simulation with Elon Musk making it really popular. Um, not along his idea of simulation where it's like we're trying to find the base reality and are we in the base reality um yeah my opinion is we're in the base reality like this is the divine simulation and there's there's wisdom contemplative traditions that say that in each moment as we're like tuning into our conscious awareness we're actually coming from source we're coming from stillness we're coming from that pure i am awareness that's unconditioned unqualified and then we tune into and energize like an image a consciousness whether that's the the human avatar that we're piloting right now or a different consciousness body and that basically by being able to to redirect that flow then we can shift our lives then we can transform then we can do kind of anything given our ability to navigate that um and to like put this into a little bit more relatable terms i like to connect it with dreams stephen laburge is someone i've i've dove into his work he's got fascinating concepts around dreams and how they relate to our our waking consciousness and when you're in a dream the interesting idea is like the level of lucidity so typically most people i would say they're not lucid and they're they're dreaming and if they dream that they're like superman and they're flying they don't really question it right they just start flying around they they start trying to save the day have you had dreams like that where you just go with the flow yeah flying dreams are the best i've never been able to like real consciously control them as such but i've had those experiences yeah so when you're not lucid, when you're just dreaming and you're, you are that character, do you ever consider like, wait, how did I get here? Like, how, how am no. I this character? Like, what happened? And should I be doing this right now? No. no. Like, I don't either. Like, and that's an interesting aspect of our consciousness in the dreams. And I feel like that can be an insight that we can use to relate to that idea of, maybe like this is a lot similar to a dream this waking life than we realize and that we're actually just plugging into what i call like a karmic trajectory like by similar to in your dream when you plug into the character of superman all of a sudden there's like a type of uh agenda that kind of suggests itself to you you're like oh i'm superman i should i should go fly i should go like fight bad guys and I feel like it's probably similar when we plug into our human avatar that there's a, a karmic influence of where it would like us to go and the way it likes us to think. And we're not like so much question of like, wait, how did I incarnate in this human avatar? Like what, what's going on? And that 
when we do reach that level of lucidity that I believe others before us have and that they've been able to show these superpowers, it's nothing crazy. It's just they've learned how to be conscious within the dream. So if you're if you're like co-dreaming with someone else and they're lucid and they're starting to do a bunch of crazy stuff, you'd think, wow, like this person has superpowers. Meanwhile, they're just like, no man, we're dreaming. I'm just I'm just consciously manipulating the dream world. Hello? Gotcha. Cool. So <laughs> the it's just all, I guess, all part of the, the journey and the questioning of like, what did people like Jesus Christ, and when you've got the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, where they're talking about these abilities that they have this psychotechnology called yoga and meditation that they use. And it's like, yeah, if you just go through this system, you'll activate certain abilities. They don't really think of it as superpowers. It's like the ability to juggle, basically. It's something that yeah. is potential that we yeah. can actualize. Yeah, well, that's most esoteric um, magic initiation books talk about that. It's just like if you do these practices for long enough and live in a certain way that purifies your mind, body, and soul, then you start to be able to, to do magic, shall we say. And that seems to be a common thread with all of these things. There are different ways to get to the points, uh, but I think all humans have a potential. If, if all humans have some level of consciousness and awareness and like a running dialogue in their head, I think at that point you have the ability to awaken these you know, psychic abilities, um, so, like, that, like that's hard for people to grasp but you can put it this way as well it's like this is a way of adding the toothpick into someone's mind instead of just going for TNT of we have superpowers but it's like okay let's take your mother for example has she ever had an experience where she's just got a feeling this intuitive feeling her intuition's gone off and either she knew someone was about to call them. She knew she just felt something horrible that has happened to someone else. Um, everyone's got that experience. Maybe they've, they've even had it themselves where uh, you've just got this weird feeling and then you call someone, they're like, well, I was just thinking of you or, or something like that. It's like, that is a psychic skill. It's unconscious to some degree, but that is your personal self being in touch with the energy of the world and knowing something and feeling something that is not happening in your immediate area and if you take the reductionist view of oh which is this body and my eyes ears and nose that's what i smell and see and that's all i can do around me it's like no that's not the case so if you know intuition is real then you can then like extrapolate that and the sense that okay maybe some people have a weak intuition some people have a strong intuition and then some people who are dedicated and practice it have these extra psychic skills and abilities and superpowers, shall we like, That's how I look at it. Yeah, yeah, and I think certain people have like a, a tendency towards uh, different flavors of superpowers. So they'll, they'll like express them more naturally than others. But I feel like too, like all of us have a, a chance to access the, the full buffet 
um, but some just like the Pokemon. Some just have like their natural go-to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I honestly, I love to think of the human avatar as like a, the human instrument, where we we incarnated into it. And th one of the issues, though, is that it, it comes with all of these preloaded programs, these survival programs from our ancestors. And so it's not like a clean slate that we get um, as an instrument. It's got it's got some it's got some bruises on it. Um, yeah. So part of the spiritual development process is to have like gross purification. It's to essentially make sure the hardware of the instrument is in the right order so that when you go to play like a C major, it's just, it sounds like a C major, it's not out of tune. And then the second step after cleaning it up is actually getting the knowledge of like, okay, well, how do I make a chord? And yep. being able to actually, um, it's basically like learning those self-management skills so that we can go from I serving ourselves to, to we serving the tribe to all. Yep. And so it's this like, I just love this idea of like, my mission, my, my goal is to just kind of be like a cosmic gardener to help cultivate um, all of these soul seeds that are on this earth and help them to realize that they are playing this human instrument to help them clean it up and to empower them with the knowledge of how to play a groovy riff and then just to have them go express themselves authentically. Um, and I'm reminded of this. I was listening to a, a digital summit and Randy Masters was talking on it. He is a musician and a harmonic mathematician. And he told this story about a Cambodian student that he had. And this student, she was in a war zone basically growing up. And the effect that the loud noises, the bombs going off had on her was that, I can't remember if it was the lyrics or the instruments, but when she listened to music, her nervous system, her brain, her mind would filter out one of those two. So she, while she would hear, let's say the music, she wouldn't hear the lyrics or while she heard the lyrics, she wouldn't hear the percussion. And mm. then through a conversation with her teacher, Randy Masters, he had reflected back to her something that triggered an internal shift and kind of like a, a realignment where then she started to be able to hear it. So my whole point in bringing up this story is that I love looking at the outliers, like kind of certain extreme examples like that to better understand some of the situations that we call normal. And so it's like, what else could our nervous system be hiding from us as a attempt to keep us safe? Because similarly, all those survival programs that we get as kids, they're great in the moment. You know, they help us in their best vantage point in that moment, they help us get through and survive. But later on, they, they usually cause issues. We gotta consciously re-examine them and, and edit them, the ones that aren't serving us. Um, yeah. But the point being like, how, how much more has that happened beyond our, our knowledge? And for me, one of the theories that I have is that the cataclysm that we experienced as humanity 11,000 years ago caused a collective trauma. And similar to this Cambodian student, 
it had humanity filtering out parts of its conscious experience. And I think this is probably what led to us being more material focused and developing our individuality, um, which again, it's, it's a situation. So you could label it as like, oh, we lost our connection with spirit, with that ethereal world. But at the same time, it, it bared the gift of giving us the opportunity to grow in our capacity to be individuals and to have a better mastery of manipulating the material world. And so now having kind of finished what seemingly finished this masculine energy arc of that material world focus, seems like we're starting to come back into a synergy of the feminine energy, which is more of the, the intuitive feeling sense, which can touch into that subtle realm and the masculine. So it's like that subtle and gross realm coming together. And I think that's basically like the, the turbulence that we're experiencing right now is this, this attempt at synergizing the two with the midst of kind of like the, the family dinner table vibes of not everyone's in agreement, not everyone's looking at the same world maps, not everyone has the same values. Um, but in general, this meta organism, this big earth is starting to enter into a, a higher level of synergy between those two domains. Wow, that's beautiful, man. And I know that, that if we can all take on board that kind of goal of helping everyone out to realize their true potential, then you know that's the fastest way possible for us to all experience the best uh, version of life that we can. So thank you for the work that you've done so far. Uh, thank you for sharing your wisdom on the Soulcast today. And uh, is there anything, where can people reach you if they want to, you know, reach out to you and um, learn more about all the things you've kind of discussed here? Yeah, supersynergy.org. Um, they can go there. And then right now, we've got a TikTok. We just got it, though. Um, Super Synergy on TikTok. Awesome. Cool. And then if they want right, to shoot thanks, an man. email, I believe um, right now it's supersynergy at proton.me. Is it supersynergy.org? I'm just putting that in and it's not coming up with anything. Yes, it's supersynergy.org. It's going to be it's going to be live later. Right on. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you so much, man. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you as well. So, bro, you have a great day as well. Have a great Sunday. <laughs>